Hello and welcome to another Comedian's Interview for my blog and podcast, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 1,000 comedians over the last 47 years. My guest today is the great comedian, it's Mr. Aaron Simmons. Yay! Hello mate, how are you? I'm good, thank you very much. I've never had such an enthusiastic uh, applause from one person. <laughs> well, it's well deserved. <laughs> You're a very funny man. Um, right, so we're going to chat for about the next yep. 45 minutes to an hour about your career in comedy, and I'd like to go right back to the start and ask you how did you become a comedian in the first place? So, um, I think what will not be unique amongst the people that you've interviewed is that I listened to the Comedians Comedian podcast with Stuart Goldsmith. Um, that was a sort of the first sort of kernel of the idea that I, oh, actually, I could do it. And like these people, like every episode of that, well, not every episode, but a lot of those episodes were like, I was just a guy that I was quite funny and I went to an open mic night and saw that they were all rubbish and I thought, oh, well, I can do at least better than that. Um, so then I tried it and I turned out to be better than the original open micer. And then I thought, oh, well, if I do an open mic, I'll either be good and I can carry on doing it or I'll inspire somebody else to start comedy. Good plan. So there was that kernel of idea just there. And then I was in kind of um, kind of a... a re Aggressive is not kind of like kind of a, a introverted relationship. I was she she was an introvert, and I had quite a restrictive hobby uh, before I was a comedian. And so I I wouldn't eat it. Like I had a very strict diet. I wasn't drinking, wasn't smoking, wouldn't do anything fun. And uh, I broke up with her, and I thought, what's the stupidest thing that I could do? And I thought it was either comedy or bungee jump. <laughs> <laughs> And I chose comedy. Good uh, man. <laughs> as well. uh, the first gig was scarier. Wow. Can you describe your first gig? Can you remember it? Yes, I can, quite clearly. Uh, July 2014. Um, it was at the Lion's Den in Piccadilly Circus. Right. Um, and it doesn't run anymore, but basically you had to pay £4 and... Uh, just go, everyone paid four pounds, and then you went up and said, I want to do it, and you did five minutes. And I, I remember going there so nervous. So, like, <laughs> I am quite so before as a comedian, I before I started comedy, I, I was a personal trainer and I thing. And so, like, food was like so regimented, so important to me at that point in my life. and that I brought dinner with me. That's <laughs> the first time I've ever been so nervous I couldn't eat. Like I just I got halfway through it and I was just like I, I'm not I'm not hungry anymore. Wow. Which was bizarre to me. Went on, did my five minutes of material, probably in about two and a half, three minutes. Um, just sort of spat it out as quickly as possible. I remember getting a couple of laughs, and I remember getting I remember there being a point where I realised I hadn't put a joke in where there needed to be a joke. And going, <laughs> you 
can't just say something that needs to have an ending and then improvising something. It wasn't a big laugh, but it got. It was just the fact that I recognised that wasn't there and I needed to fix that. Whilst on stage, I went, oh, I can do this. And I remember, so I was in, I was in this comedy club. I didn't want it, people to know it was my first time. So I was in this comedy club by myself, just sort of keeping it all about, trying to act all cool after I got off stage. I'd be like, yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah, it's not big, it's not big enough. And then I went straight from Piccadilly Circus, to, uh, straight onto the tube. And again, you can't be sort of loud and obnoxious on the tube. People would hate you. So I was very insular. And, um, and then I got to the station where I parked and the big old hill. And um, people won't know this uh, necessarily. Oh, by the way, there'll be sirens all the way through this. There's sirens here as well. Don't oh, worry. Okay, right. <laughs> you also live in Compton. <laughs> I, oh, there we go. Yeah, you get, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, uncue. It's, it's actually the same, <laughs> uh, same car. It's travelled from my... We're just in the same room. I don't, this isn't done over. So, <laughs> anyway, um, so, I mean, so people might not know, but I'm a wheelchair user. And so I, there was this massive hill um, from the station down to the car park. And I just screamed my head off about how I was... A, going to be a comedian and it was the best thing in the world and I went past four separate people who all did double take of this like guy in his mid-twenties screaming his head off about how he was a stand-up comedian uh, even though he couldn't stand up and um, that is brilliant what a perfect yeah. story that is brilliant I, I I I had a go at being a stand-up comedian yeah. once I um I wanted to get it out of my blood because I've seen so many stand-ups over the years. I thought, I can have a go at this. And I've told a lot of comedians this story. I, I, I knew a promoter and uh, he said, yeah, yeah, go on. There's a, there's a, it's a gong show for old folk. And uh, I walked out. I, I had this script rehearsed. And the first thing I said to them was, uh, people used to think I looked like Eddie the Eagle Edwards, the ski jumper. And, of course, I'm his double but I can't see the resemblance myself. And one bloke at the back just told me to fuck off. And I walked <laughs> off to the gonged off to the sound of my footsteps. And it was criminal. But, but I had another go. Similar thing yeah. happened. And I said to the promoter, I think my place is in the audience. Sure. <laughs> and that's why I've been supporting you all ever since. Um, yeah. What do you like to talk about when you're on stage? Phrasing of the, the question is, I think, is the interesting one for me because when I when I first started comedy, it was let's tell some jokes about being disabled because that that sets me apart and that's you know it affects my life and you can't like I can't go on stage and not talk about it because you know it I can't talk about my life without reference to that because you know if I go to the cinema with my girlfriend and the the girl behind the counter thinks that she's my carer, or she's my mum. Like, obviously that's funny and I'm going to talk about it. But the longer that I've done comedy for, and without trying to sound wanky, it'll come across naturally, I'm sure. Um, like, I know I can be funny now, yeah. and it's now, there has to be some substance behind it. And 
you know, with this latest Edinburgh show that I'm doing, it's it's there has to be a point to it. There's no point in just going right. I'm going to do drugs for an hour because hey, I, no, I've got no problem. I've got nothing against comedians who just do that. And fair play to them; they've got great drugs. But for me, there has to be a bit. There has to be a reason why I'm telling these jokes. So right. Be something that an audience member who hasn't experienced someone with cerebral palsy gives them something to think about, something to go, okay, I didn't understand that before. I now have a better perspective on that. And not only did that able-bodied people go, oh, maybe we shouldn't, you know, bend over when we talk to them and be, uh, tilt our heads and all that kind of nonsense. But also, you know, if there was a young disabled person in my audience, for them to go, yeah, finally someone is telling my story. I think that's the sort of the big thing for me right now. And it's not necessarily just about the disability. There's obviously more to me than just being a disabled person. But right now, that's the thing I'm sort of focusing on. What, what's, what's very interesting, and I, and I completely agree with you, is that um, I recently saw you at the Hastings Fringe, and that's immediately what came along. You're, 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 you were there to um, to say what you wanted to say and get your point across to the audience, regardless of everything else around you. As soon as you walked on, you were determined to make that audience laugh and listen, and that was wonderful to see. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, a thank you very much. It's very kind, and uh, one of the reasons why that show went really well is you have a very loud laugh. <laughs> uh, it wasn't just uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, look, I agree. Like, I think the the big thing for me is I think they sort of, um, when you say make people laugh and make people listen, I think it's a very good point that you raise. And I think they are very much intertwined. Like, if you want people to listen, yeah. make them laugh. And if you want people to, you want to make people laugh, give them something to listen to. Like, I, like, I struggle to listen to one line after one line after one line for an hour. And, like, you can have some of the best one-liners ever, you know, at some point during that show, I am going to check my watch. Yeah, but yeah. If I go see a show that has a point, has has something that they're trying to say, and is incredibly funny at the same time, that's that's when I'm that, really most engaged. That's the magic, isn't it? When, when, yeah. when, when it all clicks. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tell me about your writing process, if you've got one, for a routine or a show. Sure. So it it changes depending on the show. Um, so my first show was like a collection of everything that I'd written up until that point. And then, you know, there was a story and, and it just sort of happened that... Um, the story sort of happened chronologically and it was quite easy to write in that sense. Um, the show that I'm working on now that has gone uh, was just, you know, I knew what I wanted to talk about and it was really about developing the bit. And also I had the whole of lockdown to work on it and yeah. to move things around and um, try different bits out. So for me, the big thing is I always start with like a vague idea of what I want to talk about. Most of the stuff I talk about is stories. 
and things that have happened to me, right? So most of the time, it'll go, okay, this thing happened to me. Let me go to a new material night or when I have a preview, go, right, I want to just tell that story like I would tell it down the pub or to one of my friends or whatever, right? And then I listen back, I record everything I do, listen back to it. I don't, I record everything I do, I don't always listen back. If it's a rubbish gig, I don't bother listening <laughs> back. Um, which is a key bit of advice for any new comedian. No, <laughs> no, do do that. It, it, it really does but you listen back and then you, you go, okay, the thing about comedy that's so, that um, people don't necessarily realise when they're watching a comedian on stage is that we have direct feedback from an audience every time we do a show. So, you know, we go to a new material night, say I do a story and half of the things I say get a laugh and then half the things I say don't. The next time I tell that story, I can change all of the things that don't get a laugh or the wording or the or any kind of yeah. um, joke mechanics in it to go, okay, well actually, instead of saying that happened, you could say, no, honestly, guys, that really did happen. Or something as small as that, and then you can get, you can eke out a laugh out of that. And so, is so my point is, you get direct feedback on what you say and how you say it to the point where you can just edit, like, something happens, I say it on stage, I listen back to it, I edit, I say it on stage. It's not as... Uh, complicated as I've made it sound. Um, it's, but luckily, uh, a, lot of, a it, lot of stupid things happen to me, as you can attest from going to see that show, <laughs> that I don't have to do a huge amount of writing. Uh, so when people say they want to heal me, I'm like, right, that's going to be 10 minutes of the Edinburgh show sorted. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So, so, so the, the, the use of the mobile phone, when you, when you put it down on the stage, yeah. is paramount because as you say you can reword every, any, every, everything Absolutely. you can tweak think, it and, yeah yeah and the thing about it you do get the direct feedback right yeah and like, that's brilliant and like some people can just be very objective with that when they're on stage i think it's such a subjective thing right my favorite thing in the world is being on stage yeah i could be having the worst day <laughs> and i get on stage and i don't care and it all goes and it's just a huge wave of dopamine and like Oh my god, these people are laughing at thoughts that I've had that I've turned into jokes. That is wonderful. Yeah, and obviously when you get that, and I'm not denying that's wonderful, but my point is that if you do that and you try and judge it based on that subjective nature, it's very hard to do so. Whereas if you put your phone down and then you can you can just enjoy the show, say everything you want, Get all the big dopamine hits, take your long car ride home, chill, and then the next day you can then go back and listen to it without that sort of yeah. subjectivity to it. Be like, ah, actually, this bit was funny and this bit wasn't. So yeah. you can tweak it from that. Um, and that's where having a mobile phone on, on stage recording stuff helps. But oh. um A lot yeah. of um comedians I've seen do do it and um one of um one one of my favorite stories recently a couple of months ago um, I went to see Lily Phillips 
who uh, is just wonderful and I see her quite regularly and we were at two north down and she she walked onto the stage with the mobile phone put it right down in front of me and looked yeah. at me and went I'm going to have a great night tonight and you my love would carry but of course I was there just thinking oh the mobile phones are... but she was calculating what was getting laughs and what wasn't from yeah what was being recorded on the mobile phone. It was fascinating to use uh, a prop as a way to get a laugh as well as there yeah. for pivotal reasons. Yeah, Sarah Silverman used to do this thing where she would have notes yeah. uh, on, on stage with her and then she would say something awful. <laughs> like, re- like really like dark and horrific and then have a go at the notes. Like, it was the note's fault that she said that. Like, that Brilliant. she hadn't written it. <laughs> so something similar to that, yeah. That, that is, that is really superb. Um, uh, I recently... But, no, before yeah. we move on, what I find interesting is that the this last show that I've done and the show that I'm thinking about next um, is comes from a place where my first show, I had a lot of material. I was like, okay, let's make this into a story. These these upcoming shows are much more, okay, what do I want to talk about? So the upcoming show um, is still not fully decided on, and if this has changed by the time you're listening to it, sorry. But <laughs> the, the initial plan, uh, people of the future, um, <laughs> the show is going to be called Baby Steps, and right. I'm going to be performing the show on my feet, and I'm going to be on my feet for the entire hour, and... I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. I don't know if I can do that. Uh, like physically, I, I have no clue. I've not tried it yet. Um, but that's the plan. And the, the theory of the show is I'm going to be doing things that I've never done before. And so... Well, I wish you well with I, it. I, I think yeah. I, I think it's very brave of you to do it. But I think if, if you pull it off, it's fantastic. And the reason why you're mentioning future and all the rest of it is sure. that we are recording... This interview in summer twenty two, and yeah. it and it may not go out until twenty twenty three. So, um, there I we mean, go. That assumes that the world's still going to be alive. <laughs> yes, you're of course. Hearing this, congratulations <laughs> for making it through the night. <laughs> indeed, let's let's indeed move on. Um, I recently saw you at the Hastings Comedy Fringe, where I yes. thought you were absolutely wonderful. Um, what do you think makes a good comedian? It's a good question. I, I don't think there's one thing necessarily because obviously there's so many different types of comics and, and what works for, for different people and different things. I think the biggest thing for me, and I think the easiest way for me to explain when I found like, I felt like I was becoming a good comedian, but I think I'm, I'm almost there. I still think I've got a lot of room to go and I've got much more potential to uh, fulfill. But like, I think for me, when it when I started doing the comedy that I wanted to go see, yeah. it made a huge difference. And it meant that I could then be a better judge of that comedy. Because when I first started, I was doing like an impression of a comedy, uh, of a comedian. And I was doing the things that I thought comedians had to do. Whereas, as I've got more experience, as I've got more comfortable, as I've got, you know, this to be my full-time job, 
Um, and I can now just go on stage and say, okay, no matter what happens here, I know I have the skills and the capability to be able to deal with it and to be able to produce jokes that audiences find funny. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing about it was when I went to Edinburgh in, when was it? 2018. I did a show all about Harry Potter. And I uh, am a massive Harry Potter fan. Not a fan of the author, but... Um, yes <laughs> but this was before we knew any of that stuff guys I cannot stress that enough um, but I knew I wanted to do a Harry Potter themed show right? yeah. and I knew that I wanted to I as a fan of comedy if I was at the end of the fringe and I wasn't a comedian and someone said I'm doing a show about whether or not I love Harry Potter more than I love my girlfriend I would absolutely go see that show. And I knew what I wanted as an audience member for that show, so I was able to write it as a comic, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think understanding that and then going, oh, I can actually write comedy for me, and then I'll be able to judge whether it's good or not, rather than going, well, I'll just try and figure out, like, I'll write stuff that I think people will be interested in. That that's fascinating. That really is. Um, are you are you saying then what? Um, I think you've I, th- I think you've touched on this. Um, was there a point in your comedy career where you thought I can do this? This I, I can do this well. Is is that point when you thought you could write about what you wanted to say? Um, it's good, actually to be honest. I see it as sort of two levels. So like the first time where I thought, oh, I can do this as my job. And like, this isn't just a pipe dream or a hobby or anything. Like I've got some real potential here was when I was in the BBC New Comedian of the Year Award in 2017. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I mean, it's five years ago and I'm still banging on about it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You were there. <laughs> I was there. I was there. I was a finalist. It was amazing fun. Good and, man. Um, that was the first time I was like, oh, actually, this makes sense. Yeah. That, like, I have got some potential in this. It's not just a case of that subjectivity, like I was talking about, like, that I go on stage and I get the laughs and I love that. So, therefore, those laughs must be the loudest. Whereas, you know, you are, you apply to a competition that, you know, 600 people get applied to and you end up in the top six, you must be doing something right. Mm. So that was sort of the first point where I was like, ah, I think I can do this. Um, and then I think your point of when I realised that I should be writing for myself and writing what I want to talk about was, an, was just another step up of, of like, oh, this is how I grow yeah. from from a side of now that I'm a, a pro comic and that like it's all that I do in order to feed and clothe myself like how do I be the best version of that that was another leap up but that initial confidence boost of getting through to that final in, in 2017 was that initial starting point of like oh actually I can do this brilliant um did you what's your What's your view of competitions? Did you think did did you 
think that it helped you at all? I mean, I mean, I'm not just talking about yourself. Do you think it's a good thing to have them? Is it a, is it a good thing for comedians? Yeah. So it's one of those things that is a quite a complex issue, and it, I'm very glad that this question is not yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think overall. And I say this as someone who has been successful in competitions and, I've been, and someone who has not been successful in competitions. I think as much as we would all love for comedy not to be competitive and to be completely subjective, and that, you know, if you go to a, a standard comedy club night where you have an MC, an opener, two middles, and a closer, it's not a competition to see who's funniest. Everyone is contributing yeah. to everybody having a good time. The better yeah. the MC does, the better the opening act does, the better the middle does, the better the middle does, the better the closer does, right? And that's and the better time the audience has, and that's what we're here to do, is to make sure that people who come to a comedy club end far happier than they did when they walked into the door. So in an ideal world, comedy wouldn't be competitive. But it is. It's a competitive industry. Lots of people want to do it. And I think the, the, the most successful... I've been within comedy competitions is when I've not treated it competitively and I've not got in my own head about it. Um, but what I would say is comedy competitions are very useful to your career if you do well in them. Yeah. So the fact that I did well in the BBC, the fact that I did well in Jewish Community of the Year 2017, these, are, these things took me not like a huge jump, but it, it got me from promoters not even watching my video to promoters watching my video. And sure. My video was then good because it came off the BBC and, um, you know, then when you start doing well at the gigs, that's when you start getting booked more and more. But that little jump of being nobody to being somebody came from me for being a finalist in one competition and a winner in another, right? The thing I would say is if you do badly in a competition, yeah. nobody knows, nobody cares. Like So it's kind of like a free swing. If you go into a competition knowing that if you do, knowing that if you go um, and do well, it could be beneficial to your career, great. If you do badly, it has no detrimental effect. And I think that's the key, and that's why I land on the side of competitions are good. So... People know that I was in the BBC in 2017. They don't need to know that I like didn't make the quarterfinals. Of yeah, the yeah, uh, yeah. In the year the follow in 2018, like I reveal it now because it's not a big deal. But like, <laughs> I've all, I've always no, it's a great competition. At the time it was, but not now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But the 2018 heats were like the creme de la creme of comedy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Um, but my point is that like. If you do well in them, great. If you don't, it doesn't matter at all. Like, there are people that were in my heat for the BBC, um, and I can tell you, have been definitively way more successful than I am. Oh. <laughs> like, it's, it's not... it. Like, I, I'll tell you after who I'm referring to. But, yeah. yeah, please do. <laughs> These people have been on serious TV shows in the country, are touring, are... Wow. Like, a real, real bloody good act. Yeah. And they just didn't make it through for whatever reason. It didn't have any kind of negative impact on their career. Yeah? But me doing well in it 
had a positive impact in my career. Brilliant, brilliant. And I suppose following on from that in a way, um, to date, what's been your best and worst comedy gig? I can't believe you've had a bad gig because you're such oh, a funny man. Thank you. <laughs> you are very wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, I'll tell the, the good gig first because that's less fun. Story. <laughs> uh, it's just bragging, really. Um, so when I did the Russell Howard show, yeah, um, that was like the best gig I've ever had. Really is the the scope for that going well compared to that going badly is so much more exaggerated. You know, if you do a gig in front of a hundred people on a Saturday <laughs> night and you don't do well, hundred people don't think you're great at comedy. Fine, all right, move on. But if you go on TV yeah. and do badly and they can't edit it in any way <laughs> they good, th- then you're in real trouble and uh, you can't ignore that. And then, I don't know, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the clip or not, uh, but it didn't go according to the script. Um, I have seen it. But, yeah. but, it is. <laughs> but like, I, it was just one of those... I was able to roll with punches in it and it's just a magic moment. Yeah, yeah. And like, I could have never have planned that. And if that happened, it was the first time it's ever happened. Um, and for me to, to handle it the way I did meant that A, that would clip that went viral, but also, like, I could never recreate that. No. That happened ever again. It's of the I moments, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And so for that, lightning in a bottle to be caught on camera and then be able to be put on TV and then put online and all that kind of stuff. It was really, really great. Brilliant. And now that I've shown that I am a good comedian, <laughs> let me tell you about the time I died in my ass. Um, <laughs> so, this was in, uh, in a tiny place in Cambridgeshire. Right. And it was uh, a social club. And it was the first time in my career where I had asked to do the gig, been asked to do the gig. You, up until that point, I'd had a, quite a, like a little bit of paid work, but it was always, there was a post on the Facebook comedy forum, I would apply for it and I would get the job, right? It, no one was coming to me and emailing me going, hey, we'd like you to do our gig, right? <laughs> and so I got this email saying, We'd like you to be on our gig. Um, it's probably a hundred pounds, I think. We want you in to do twenty minutes in the middle, and it's in this little village in Cambridgeshire. And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great, absolutely." And so it was this tiny, tiny little village. To give you an idea of how small this village is, the barbers, because in this village, was called the. Barbers. They only have one. They don't need another. Because nobody inside that village ever leaves and no one outside ever comes in. Brilliant. And there's your comedy audience. Yeah, they were in a lockdown bubble before 2020. They were just getting ready. Um, So, I went there. I was very excited that they'd asked me to do it, right? I then got to the venue. And it was a really long, thin room, right? And I was thinking, okay, this is doable. 
I think I'm either going to fly or I'm going to die. And that was my first thought when I got in the room. Compact goes on. Ben Vanderbilt does a great job, right? He's a great MC. He's been doing it a very long time. Very funny man. Yeah. That's great. Opening act comes on. Kelly Collier. Collier. Great act. She does well. Brilliant. Right. Interval. <laughs> During the interval, I realized that I'm not going to be able to get from the back of the room to the front of the room because oh. of my chair, because of how many people there are in this room. Oh my God. And so what I realized that I'd go, okay, during the interval, I just pushed, I, I pushed through because there wasn't so many people and I just sat myself in front of these, uh, it was a table with two women on it and uh, I just sat myself there, right? <laughs> and sort of two minutes before the show recommenced, they sort of sat back down and they were like, sorry, you were right. And I went, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm just going to go on stage next. And obviously I can't get from the back of the stage. So is it cool if I just hang out here? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. And um, they then asked me the question, uh, do you get nervous before you go on stage? Now, before I tell you my answer to that <laughs> question, Rich, I do need to point out that they were two very attractive uh, women, <laughs> uh, which, which heavily influenced my answer. Um, <laughs> because instead of going, yeah, I mean, a little bit, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. I'm it. I went, nah, of course I don't anymore. I'm really good at comedy now. Wow. And at that moment, I went, oh, you're going to die on your ass for 20 minutes now. And I was so sure I was going to die that ex- like, a lot of people have talked about like going on stage and doing something really early and then dying. I managed to die before I was even on stage. That like, is a first. <laughs> that is a first. Then, so then they comes on, introduces me, and I did. I died on my oh, ass right. twenty minutes solid, right? But I didn't <laughs> know that you could do sort of like 15 to 17 if you're not having a good time. <laughs> so I was like, I've been told I've got to do 20. I'm doing 20, right? Did the 20, hardest 20 of my life, died my ass. And I went, I'm an Aaronson, thank you very much, goodbye, right? Before I could get off stage, right, Ben jumps on stage and went, Aaron, before you go, we still need you on stage. And I was like, I've, I've known Ben. A, a year or two at this stage and I'm like what the fuck are you doing I want to <laughs> get off this stage I want to crawl into a hole and never be seen by another human being ever again. <laughs> no, no no you need to stay here you need to stay here they invited the owner of the social club on stage and then he was like um, thank you so much for coming wasn't he great and then like <laughs> one clap <laughs> like, so the reason why we invited you uh, down tonight uh, was because uh, we wanted you, we have just installed a disabled toilet. Oh, no. And we would like you to christen oh. the toilet for us. No. And so after dying on my ass for 20 minutes, <laughs> I then had to go and cut a ribbon. I oh no, no, no. And then I had to go into the toilet and pretend to do a piss wow. in front of hundreds of people who would just see me die on my ass. Just get me I, out of there. That's yeah, awful. I thought I thought they wanted me for my comedy. They just wanted me to wow. take a piss. 
that um, that that is a great story, but very unfortunate. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, it's one of those things that I'm sure the story eventually will take over um, the experience. Yeah, but at the minute, it still hurts. Wow. Um, you you mentioned uh, Russell Howard. Um, I yes. I saw him just as he was taking off at, at, okay, at Edinburgh, yeah. and um, uh, I'd just bought a new mobile phone. And uh, as soon as he bounded on stage, I couldn't switch the damn thing off. And my friend was ringing me outside. Yeah. He just took the piss out of me for the hour, and yeah. said and said this was comedy gold. I went, well, I'm, yeah. I'm panicking. And and I mean, uh, so great. Like, Oh, he's brilliant. He was so good. It's very quick-witted. Very quick-witted. What what I found fascinating watching the show is it's it's done in front of a live audience. There are 300 people there. And he has jokes on the um, autocue that's been written and that he's worked on during the week. Yeah. And it's only when he gets on stage, he'll he'll do all the jokes and he goes, no, actually, I've thought of something better. Let's do that again. (laughs) In the moment when he's telling Jokes yeah. that he's written, yeah. he's thought of something funnier, yeah. still delivers the jokes he's written, which are already really that, funny, that's super. and then delivers a far better joke afterwards. And he's like, See, I told you that was funnier. And it's just like, he's, how can you do that? He's, he's, recording he's, a TV show that he's in charge of. He's taking uh, um, idea from Ben Elton. We saw, we saw Ben Elton in the 80s when I was at college. I saw him twice. I saw him at Stoke when I was at college and then in Carlisle about a month later. And he was judging his audience and he had he must have had a wealth of material because yeah. he because he based each show on the specific audience. So at at, wow, okay. at college it was all about students, in Carlisle it was all about living in such a remote place, which it is, because it's right at the top of the country. And he was fantastic. He he, it was so good because it was a different show. And um, uh, um, I was I was going to move on to um, well, you've you've answered it. Um, how do you cope with any nerves before you go on stage, and how do you remember all your routines? So my first bit of advice is don't tell me to attractive people that you're going to do. <laughs> Probably won't. Um, so I don't get a huge amount of nerves now. No. Like, genuinely. Um, like, I still get nervous before big gigs or, or you know, like the telly stuff and the way you have less control. And yeah. You do and all that in terms of re- remembering material, I don't really have sort of any um, sage bit of advice or um, anything like that. Like, I'm, I've generally got quite a good memory. Like, I don't write things down. Like, when I write things down, they stop being funny to me. Yeah. Um, so I don't like to be too scripted. And, you know, I just rely on the fact that I've said them before. And and also, you need to trust the fact that if you're telling us... Uh, it's very different if you're a joke teller, right? And you're punchline, set, set up punchline, set up punchline. Like, that's harder to do than what I do. Like, I have a set list for my... Edinburgh show, which is an hour long, which is less than an A5 piece of paper, because I have a 10 minute story about Jesus and a 10 minute story about, or, you know, this or that, or, you know, disabled toilets or whatever, right? And um, so that's a lot easier. And so for me, I just go with the, with the premise of, you know, if I was in the pub with my mates, uh, I mean, I don't go to the pub with my, I don't go to 
I don't have any friends. But oh. theoretically, <laughs> if, if I were doing that and someone went, oh, Aaron, tell that story about the time you had sex in a disabled toilet, <laughs> I would like, okay, I know how to tell the story. In terms of the nerves, I do have a, like a genuine piece of advice that I found very useful at the beginning of my career. Um, and it's, it's very simple. It's two deep breaths. Because the first one will not be deep enough. And then the second one is when you actually have a deep breath. So um, wow. that made a huge difference for me. And just having that. And um, I also watched the TED Talk by... Um, Deborah Francis White yeah, yeah. Uh, on, on stage fright and I thought it was fascinating um, in terms of her mentality towards it and like why um, public speaking is so scary to people and, and essentially I'm, I'm going to butcher it a little bit if, you, if you're very interested in this idea please go and find it because she articulates it a lot better than I do but the premise is as we were growing up on the savannah as evolving humans, there are only two scenarios in which you are facing one direction and everybody else is facing another, right? So in the situation that you are on stage, you are facing out, everybody else is facing in. Evolutionary, evolutionarily speaking, there are two uh, examples where that could be. Option A, is that you are lunch, right? And you are a hyena and <laughs> there are a whole bunch of lions, right? That's option A. Option B is that you are king of the prime and you are also a lion. And so that mentality of going, oh, hang on, if I act like I'm in charge yeah. and being in control of that situation, it makes a huge difference to how the audience reacts, how you feel comfortable all of a sudden, and like she actually in the TED talk can make herself so nervous that she starts say that she starts shaking, and you know, uh, for me, what I found interesting early on in my career was people said I always looked really calm on stage, but that was because I was sat down, so I wasn't moving around or or hiding behind a mic stand. I was sat in my chair, yeah. which I'm very comfortable with. I spent amount of time in it uh, but just you know if i would lean on a wheel that's as much performative as it was comfort and so it just put the audience at ease and i think that kind of thing obviously i'm not suggesting that everybody get in a wheelchair it'll be easier mainly because i want i want to keep my niche but um <laughs> yeah i just think finding the thing that makes you feel calm and confident and in control on stage is what stops those nerves from becoming bigger and more um, impactful. That is that is fascinating because uh, the two stories that come to mind for me, I wrote a play that was the most creative thing I ever did other than the blog, and we put it on for comic relief, and it was all about me right. and my successful girlfriend, and I didn't have a job, come down to London from Carlisle, and it was all, it was a really good idea. And I ran out and I, and I accidentally wrote a series of, I say accidentally, I, I had to write a series of monologues because it was basically, he was trying to get a job, the character, he was in a waiting room uh, and he looked to the audience, started chatting to them and then the interviewer comes on and interviews him. So the first night we did this, I ran out and I forgot my lines. <laughs> 
and I was like a rabbit in headlights. I I never. I just thought, take me to the pub now, or get me out of this. And it was so because we'd rehearsed so much for it, and then of course the other two nights didn't miss a beat. So it, so that that did. But 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 the other thing is um, sitting in audiences for years and years. I would never sit near the front because uh, I just thought, well, my laugh, they can hear my laugh if they want to hear it. But um, when I went to Certainly Always Be Comedy, which is the club I go to every, every week just about, they had a space on the front row. And he and, and he's very, very warm there, the compere, James Gill, because he just chats to the audience and he gets everybody in. And the next thing, I'm up on stage singing with him. And, and, and of course, the joke is I can't sing a note. So I thought my confidence is flying through the roof here. And hence the blog happened and this podcast. And it's, it's fascinating if you analyse why the audience are there, why the comedians are there. You know, it's, it's a whole different thing. And, and what's not to love about the whole genre of it? Because it's so positive, you know. Yeah, I mean, so I can I can very much empathise with you. I'm better at walking than I am at singing. They wanted me to walk. Um, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Like that's the whole thing. Yeah. It's like I don't get people who are like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not, that into, not that into Can't do it. No, no, no. You must. <laughs> you've got to like somebody. Very much so. Let's let's move on to Edinburgh. I I spend I spend my holidays every year going to the Edinburgh Fringe, and yeah. I, I've been going since twenty o five, and I see about fifty shows in a week. I'm exhausted, right. but I love it. Um, yeah. Tell me about your first Edinburgh festival and what was it like? What year was it? What did you do yeah. there? So I I've been going every year since twenty fourteen. Uh, 2020 and 21 excluded. Yes, uh, of course. For, for reasons. Yeah. Um, 2014, I went up just to watch shows. Uh, it was our last family holiday together. Uh, me, and my mum, and dad, and my brother all went up. Like we booked um, the holiday before I decided I was going to do my first ever gig. So I'd done two gigs, three gigs before we went up. And then I came back. Uh, actually, I'd done two gigs. I'd done two gigs um, before we went up. And that was just great. We just watched a whole bunch of shows. And um, I mean, it was tricky because I, I brought an electric wheelchair with me rather than uh, a manual wheelchair, which, yeah, Edinburgh is tricky uh, for wheelchair users. Too just, many yeah. hills. Yeah, it's, <laughs> genuinely. Why don't you get back? Edinburgh is 80% uphill, right? It's like a fucking Escher painting. <laughs> like, I get that if you go from A to B, that can be uphill, right? Yeah. All I don't get is if you go from B to A, on the way back, it is still uphill. Like, it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but yeah, so I went up to just watch for that first, for that first weekend, and we went as a family. Um, and we, we just saw as much as we possibly could. And then I, the first couple of um, fringes, I went, so 15 and 16, I went up for a weekend, um, just did a whole bunch of open spots. Yeah. Um, just me. 
just going to see as much as I could, performing as much as I could. And then um, 2017 was my first like mini run where I did sort of 10 days uh, right. doing my own show. That went really well. That went, I mean, it wasn't, the show itself was like fine, but like I did okay and like I realised I could fly quite well and that I was doing the BBC stuff, so that was really exciting. And then um, 2018 was the first time I did a whole run doing my Harry Potter show. That was very exciting. That went really well. That was way better than I thought it would be. Um, I mean, no, I don't claim it's because of me. I claim it's because of Harry <laughs> um, It's a very popular book genre. Uh, <laughs> book, book genre? Just book? Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, after that, I then did my debut hour in 2019. And, um, yeah, that was really, really fun and that, that meant a lot. But in terms of like my first editor experience, um, and the most fun, like the most fun thing you can do as a comic is go to Edinburgh for like four or five days, yeah, and perform more comedy than you will do in a month. See more comedy than you will do in a month. <laughs> try and learn as much as possible. Yeah, like, and it's the same now. So like this year, six months ago. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> We recorded this before Edinburgh, but you guys are hearing it after it. Um, <laughs> it went brilliantly. Oh my god, I can't believe yeah. <laughs> I've won. Well, I, well, your anticipated show that I've seen is yeah. superb. This is no, this, I, I, this is, no, this is hot wheels, isn't anything. it? Yeah. But my point is, this year I'm doing three shows a day. Right? Wow. So I know it's insane. It's not a smart. That's incredible. But the thing about it, if I have a good week. And I gig five nights a week, which is usually my standard, gigging for 20 minutes a day. I am on stage for an hour in total, right? Every day, I'm going to be on stage for two and a half hours minimum. You will be exhausted. Yes, I plan on sleeping for the entirety of September. (laughs) Um, You will be absolutely shocked. I mean, I mean, I think I'm doing well at 55, doing 50 shows. They push me around... You know, because I, I am shattered going up those hills. But it's the I mean, experience of going. Um, you yeah. step off the train at Waverley and the enthusiasm just there yeah. just hits you. That, and you think, this is amazing. And that, I, I mean, that I is so it. true. And, like, it's going to be slightly different this year. And, like, maybe I'll text you to say, can you include this on the podcast? It was an absolute disaster. Never do three shows ever again. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> Well, I wish the you way well. I, the, way I, the way I've planned out, I think I'm going to be okay. I'm, I'm, bringing my, I'm driving up to Edinburgh this year, so I'm going to have my car. Right. So I'm not going to be pushing everywhere. So I am looking after myself. I've sort of already got, like, I've got a couple of days off. I've sort of got plans of what I'm going to do for that. But <laughs> it's just a case of, um, yeah, I just want to get a, I, the reason why I'm going to Edinburgh is to get better as a comic. Yeah, and of course. Say, yeah, it's all it's all about the experience. Day, yeah, not, and you don't get better. Yeah. There's, there's a question that you need to be asking yourself whether or not you can get any better than you are. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited about it. Um, well, do yeah, I, do I, let I, me know. Do let me know the three shows because sure. I will come and see you, my friend. Fantastic. Definitely. Yeah. Um, 
Who are your favourite comedians, past and present? So, present is very easy. James A. Caster oh. is just the funniest person on the He's incredible, isn't he? Yeah. Like, he is so phenomenal at what he does, but also he can do everything else as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. his brain works so quickly that he can compute it as himself and then go, oh, you know, it'd be funnier if I did it like this, <laughs> or I acted like this guy, or I'll pretend to be a genie because, you know, <laughs> why not? Yeah. Like, it's so, comedy is so easy for him that he can, it appears to be. Totally. He can just do it in any form that he loves, he wants to. Totally. And I just, I think he's phenomenal. He is one of the greatest, I think, right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and then, in terms of past, the, like, the one that had sort of the biggest influence on me uh, growing up was um, Eddie Izzard. Wow, brilliant, so yeah. When when I was maybe 10, 11, maybe, uh, my uncle gave us three VHSs, two of which were Eddie, which were uh, Just to Kill and... Oh, I can't remember the, other, the name of the other one, that's going to annoy me, but uh, we had two of Eddie's um, stand-up specials and a Frank Skinner stand-up special, and I, I've watched them so much. He's, he's, he's superb. To take one word and run with it is extraordinary. Yeah. And I just remember those shows so vividly. And it, obviously, my style on Eddie's uh, chalk and cheese. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just remember just crying with laughter. That's, that's so good. My, uh, um, there is a section in my blog uh, a testimonial yeah. section uh-huh. and all, all the comedians and my family and all the rest yeah. of them have been very kind putting nice words in and the fun, but the funniest one by a mile is James Acaster who right. wrote um, if I wasn't a comedian I would happily sit next to Richard Gill all day and make him <laughs> laugh I mean that's priceless um, yeah. <laughs> and we saw Eddie Izzard just a couple of weeks ago um, we, uh, I had Barry Cryer uh, on this podcast. It was extraordinary. Yeah. And the, the dear legend uh, left us in January yeah. and they had a celebration night run by his son and Izzard did 10 minutes and it was just superb. Just the way that he sa- saunters onto the stage without a care in the world and then bang, is away. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great, great choice. Um, like me, do you go to a lot of stand-up comedy shows as a member of the audience? I mean, not as much as I would actually, you would think. I actually sort of very much, I get a lot of FOMO. So if I go to a comedy night and I'm not performing, I get quite sad that I'm not performing. <laughs> yeah, cool. um, I, had, I think, I I think that's fun. called ego, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to play. I want to play. <laughs> um, I've gone to a lot of previews this year because I because I'm going to be so busy in Edinburgh. I'm not going to be able to go see people as much as I would like. Yeah. So I'm trying to see the people that I really definitely want to see before Edinburgh. Um, yeah. I know. I think it's always fun as a comic to go and be like, "Hey, have you thought about doing this or doing this?" Or, you know, some of my best thing, best bits of my Edinburgh shows have come from other comics. So. It's always quite nice to do that. Brilliant. Um, but I, I always try and stick around for the shows. 
yeah, yeah. Cars to try and get there at the beginning, just so you watch it all. And unless I've got to drive home, sort of three, four hours, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I will generally stay and watch. That's good. That's that's great. Um, my first ever gig at the age of seven, uh, as a family, we went to see Les Dawson in Scarborough, and he was extraordinary. And then a year later, I saw Tommy Cooper, and I got the bug, and and he was he he was extraordinary. And I thought and I thought there's something here, and I I I just found a passion, a hobby, and hopefully uh, the buzz of it all comes out in the blog that the, the, the enthuse, oh, yeah, you know, so because like, uh, I've seen so many and I, I, yeah. I just love to go. There's yeah, nothing I mean, like it. I mean, the blog is like who you are and yeah. who you are as a very enthusiastic person, particularly around, about everything, but particularly around comedy. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, like it, you say, like, it's such a joyous thing. It is. appreciation of it adds to that enjoyment and like it is certainly a huge thing and it's the reason why i accepted to do this podcast like when you text me i was like yeah of course absolutely when you <laughs> well you're very kind thank you so much um just before we go is there anything else you'd like to say um where can people find you on social media have you got any sure. gigs or a tour planned or podcasts or anything like that so uh if I haven't given up social media by by twenty twenty three, fucking hate it, but sure, it's part of the job. Uh, it's at Rolling Comedian, uh, Rolling Down a Hill, not J K Rowling. Uh, <laughs> need to be clear these days. Um, so that's where I'm on social media. Um, in terms of what I'm doing in twenty twenty three, I don't know. Um, as I say, I will be. I'm, there is a. Very, very good chance I will be going to Edinburgh in 2023. So if anybody's going to that, look out for me there. I think it's going to be called Aaron Simmons Baby Steps. Yeah. But we are literally over a year away from it. So I, I haven't settled on the title yet. Um, <laughs> even to have an idea for a title. Just <laughs> well, it's privileged that the idea exactly. is sewn here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that that's potentially there. Um Hopefully, if Edinburgh goes well, there might be a mini tour wow. um, of this show and uh, might be doing it in, in conjunction with the Harry Potter tour, um, the show. So, yeah, all of that stuff will be on my website, which is Um And, yeah, just, you know, drop me a text. <laughs> Well, my friend... I it's... mean, to be honest, if you message me on Twitter, it's the same thing. It's no problem. Um, well, it's been, it's been an absolute joy talking to you for the last hour. And I can't wait to come and see you again soon. And I wish you all the very best with the Edinburgh run and everything you do in future. It's been a joy, my friend. Thank you very much. Pleasure's all mine. Take care and all the best to you. See you later, mate. Thanks now.